we're going to be looking at some of the realities of the life of Jesus with regards to how he developed as a child. And that's going to do three things. Some of us in this room are parents. And I believe that our, our sights should be that we want to be the best parents that we possibly can be. And not just parents as whatever definition that may be. Parents in the, in the sense of what God defines as successful parenthood. Secondarily, there are people in this room who perhaps could be future parents uh, one day. And uh, this is, I can remember hearing things about parenting before I ever had children. And those words came to me in the moments of raising children that I thought, wow, that's really helpful that I knew that. So, so if parenting is in your future, you can also take notes. And then thirdly, is that the reality is that I, the ways in which we develop as children and that God has parents develop children, we continue to develop and need those foundations set in our lives for as long as we're alive. So if you're a child of the Father God, this applies to you today. So when Minda and I and the family, we moved to South Africa in uh, July, I mean, in January of 2009, and we found ourselves, I'm just going to be straight up with you, we found ourselves in a culture where parenting was different than in America. And I've got to be honest with you, kids were held to a higher standard. And as I began to progress in this culture, I began to discover that actually I felt ill-prepared. Because there, the, the, the level of parenting even, I don't just mean like disciplinarians, I mean like well-adjusted, disciplined kids who had such good manners and, and, and these kinds of things relative to the average American kid. Um, uh, fill in the blanks, I'll let you fill in the blanks. What I'm trying to say is there are wonderful things about various cultures and the ways that they approach things. We're not after the American way of parenting our kids. We're not after the South African way of parenting kids. We're actually after the kingdom of God way of parenting our kids. But we have to understand that we live in a culture that even though we may not be aware of it, sets a context psychologically for us, that a, a lens and a grid through which we see everything that may not be consistent with the way of God. So if you'll turn with me in Luke chapter 2, I want to read a story to you just to express some of this um, concept that our culture may not really be the way that it's supposed to happen. So let me get there as well. Luke chapter 2. If you have some kind of a Bible app or anything like that. Turn the page. There we go. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 41. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. So that was an annual event. Jesus, of course, lived in the town of Nazareth. And uh, they would go on a walking journey to a city of Jerusalem and the custom was that not just his parents would go, but in fact, most of the town would go. And so there was this kind of community idea of they would walk together and all be one big town and there would be kind of like vibey and it was like a cool thing on an annual basis that they would go do, this feast of the Passover. Maybe 
to you and I that may sound boring, like to go to some religious feast or something, but this, this was like an exciting time that the whole community participated in it. And so they were all best friends and they were community and they were walking together. Verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, that's significant, I won't get into that now though, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And fulfilling the days, they returned the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know. Now, right there, pause. I want you to consider that they were returning, and they didn't know that Jesus was with them. Now, through our American, was not with them. Thank you, Minda. Now, through the lens of our American kind of filtering system, does that not sound like bordering on child abuse? They left Jerusalem and didn't know that their 12-year-old son was still there. So if you go on, verse 44, but they supposing him to have been in the company. How irresponsible does that sound? They supposed that their 12-year-old son was in this company and didn't even have a grid for where he actually was. They went a day's journey. They went a day's journey. And they looked for him among the kinsfolk and acquaintances. This like town mob, you know, that are, they're rocking their way back to Nazareth and wasn't that an amazing time? And that was like our annual holiday and geez, woo, they're high-fiving each other. And hey, Jesus, wasn't that great? Jesus, where are you, buddy? A day has gone by, my friends. In verse 45, and when they did not find him, they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. Any parents in here ever had that happen? You leave the mall and uh, <laughs> so uh, what's for dinner? Hey, wait, you know, look back in the car and you realize only one of your two kids are there. So what a little story in terms of being living in South Africa related to this is we, we lived on a missions base for the first three years that we lived in South Africa. And there was a kind of a playground area right outside of our, um, our unit. And so it kind of became a central location for the kids. Now on this mission space, understand that we were Americans living on this mission base and we were the minority for sure. So the majority were probably black South Africans and then you had another, uh, a whole other recognized race of people that were a, kind of a mixture of different races and they had their own kind of name and, and that kind of thing. Then you had South African Indians and then you had uh, like uh, white Afrikaans South Africans. You had a whole hodgepodge of cultures all on one mission space. Got it? And there was this one lady who, I, I remember her name was, her. she had a baby, probably a one-year-old, and her baby's name was, get it, Baby. And, um, and this baby would be left at this little playground area right outside of our unit. And I remember like sometimes I would get irritated because who is looking out for this girl? And one particular time the girl kind of like fell over and she was crying and crying and like the whole snot thing is going on and, and like there's no mom around to, to help this child out and I was mad, okay? And if, for, if you, you get to know me better, you'll, you'll maybe experience these moments when I get mad. It's not, it's not good. It's not good. Um, it's not often, but, but it's usually when somebody is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's when, it, 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 that's when the scale tips for me. And so I thought I needed to go lovingly talk to the mom. So I picked this baby up and I carried the baby to the mom and with as much grace and love, I just kind of explained that maybe you should be watching your baby and, and, 
and so, so on and so forth. That conversation ended amicably. As I continued to live in South Africa, I began to understand something. Check this out. In black South African culture, they live in kind of what is like a village. And they have this word, regardless of which tribe they come from, Kosa, Zulu, you know, Debele, etc. They have this word that they all carry in common, and it's Ubuntu. Say that, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. And it means having all things in common, togetherness. What you, what's yours is mine. We live in community. And in that culture, kids running up and down the streets because they know that the mama at the at the house down the street is gonna be watching the kids exactly the same as I would be watching her kids if, I were, if they were down in front of my house. And that's the way it works, it takes a village. That's the way they think. It's not just kind of practice, it's embedded into the whole psyche and way of life, including when one person comes across some kind of gain, some kind of finances, some kind of uh, uh, some provision of some kind, they don't come back into the neighborhood as if this is mine. They get it and they think of how can they share it with my community. Now try that on for size, America. How often do you see that idea? What I'm saying is we have cultural constraints in which we parent our children, cultural ideas, even this idea of this nuclear family that we live unto ourselves and this is my territory and my possessions, that's actually not necessarily something that is familiar to the kingdom of God. You follow what I'm saying? So as we're introducing the subject over the next three weeks, I'm asking us, number one, can we step back and view our parenting from something bigger than just our cultural standpoint and recognize we are influenced by our cultural standpoints? because I was too, and I was a child of the king, devout follower of Jesus when I moved to South Africa, and I had to come face to face with my own culture. But number two, I wanna ask that we don't just take the information that we're taking here and say, oh, I already Googled that, I already read that blog, I already know that information. This needs to be a litmus test to say, a reminder for all of us, is this a reality in our lives? Cool? So let's read on because I want to get on to kind of the key text for where we're going to be heading over the next three weeks. Uh, I think I left on verse 45, did I not? It says verse 46, and it happened at, that after three days they found him in the temple. How freaky would that be? Three days looking for Jesus, they found him in the temple, uh, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both hearing them and questioning them. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And seeing him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you done so to us? Behold, your father and I have looked for you greatly distressed. And he said to them, Why do you look for me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? There's so much that we're running over here that we could get into, but it's not necessary for today. Verse 50, And they did not understand the word that he spoke to them. And he went with them to Nazareth. This is what I want. This is, here's the key. He went with them to Nazareth, and he was subject to them. His mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Here's the key text right here, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Four categories that Minda and I have time and time and time again over the past 12, 13 years, 13, 
Peter's turning 13 this week. Happy birthday, buddy. Over the past 13 years, time and time and time again, have come back to this one verse that I just read to you as the four categories that our children need to be growing up healthily. Is that a word? I'm going to use that adverb, and if it's not, I'm creating it. Creative license. It's a pastoral authority that has been given to me by divine right. That for our children, I'm kidding, for our children to grow up healthily in these four areas. Can I take one step further and say, you and I, it's not like at the age of 18 or 21 that these things don't apply to us. We need to grow in wisdom, be healthy in our wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. What are these four things? Wisdom would speak to our knowledge of how the world works, our knowledge even of spiritual reality and truths, everything that has to do with wisdom to walk out life here on this earth. Everything from, I'm looking at the College of Creative Studies students here, they're gaining knowledge in the, the uh, education that they're receiving that's going to help them in a, uh, in a career. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. Or Joy over here, who's leaning on her mom's shoulder, uh, is perhaps learning from wisdom from her mom as her mom has learned and is learning wisdom. She's taking the moments to pass that on Maybe it's not to do with a particular career, maybe it is, but maybe it's just the wisdom of life, how to manage your finances, how to treat people, et cetera, et cetera. Wisdom stature, that doesn't mean that you need to be Paul Bunyan, means that we need healthy bodies, favor with God, in other words, social development, and favor with, favor, uh, excuse me, favor with God, which is spiritual development, and favor with man, social development. You ready to crack into it? So today we're gonna talk about those first two, Next week, we're going to get into favor with God, how to live in a favorable relationship in a healthy place with God the Father. So important that we want to raise our kids in that. And then finally, and so importantly, favor with man, which is going to include issues of discipline and issues of respect and issues of training our kids to be able to conduct themselves with other people in ways that generates favorable human relationships. We good? Thank you, Minda. So let's go for it. Growing in wisdom. So first of all, the family, parents, the family unit, and the church, the family of God, is to pass down wisdom generation to generation from one generation to the next of the ways of God and also the story of God. Now, this is incredibly important, and this right here has gotten mi mixed up big time, a lack of, of handing the baton from one generation to the next. It's happened throughout Scripture. You see it in David in the, in the catastrophe that happened with Solomon, his son, the baton not being adequately passed. You see it even in church history of, of something not quite being passed and the church ending up becoming this rich, wretched institution of darkness as opposed to the family of light that it once was, so on and so forth. The passing of the baton is so important. If you'll look with me, Deuteronomy chapter uh, four, first of all, I said passing down the story and the ways of God. So let's consider this thing of the story. Deuteronomy chapter four, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul carefully unless you forget the things which your eyes have seen and unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life but teach them to your sons and your sons' sons. So what we're talking about here is story. 
This is God talking to the people of Israel. Actually, it's Moses talking to the people of Israel. And he's telling them, don't forget these things that you have seen. Now, what, what have they seen as of late in, in this story? They've seen uh, Moses and the, like these plagues coming upon uh, Egypt when he was telling Pharaoh to let the people go. He's, they've seen miracles. And then after that, they, they uh, cross the Red Sea and they see God dividing the, the Red Sea from one, one place to the next. They've seen miracles that they know in their heart, God is with us. Like there's no doubt in their mind. The concern is, what if that memory of that reality is not passed on to the sons and daughters? And how easy is it for those who didn't see that miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea to say, you know, mom and dad talked about that God, but I don't know, I'm not really seeing anything, so I think I'm going to open up my heart to maybe worshiping another God or following a different path. But it's the, it's the passing on of the story that causes children and causes all of us to understand the the big picture, the, the chain, the, 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 uh, what is the, word? The, the chronicles in which our life exists and sets context. So for example, when we moved uh, to South Africa, actually when we were in South Africa and we were leaving that mission space and that organization, I've told you the story, I'm not going to go into details now. Uh, the, we, just in our journey with God, we came to a place where we knew God was leading us to make a huge leap of faith in 2011. I won't go into the details, but it, it basically required we put everything on the line and have no idea where most of what we need basic to life was going to come from. Um, but we knew God was speaking to us. And if you're not used to that concept, that's okay, but God does speak. And usually when he speaks, it requires big faith <laughs> in response. Uh, but we also had that confidence that God was leading us. Now, while we were doing that, Peter was, how old was Peter? 2011, you would have been seven. And uh, John David would have been about four. So it was a debate. Should we talk to our kids about this or not? We decided we want to bring them in on that story so that they knew in a way a seven and a four-year-old could understand uh, what it was that their family was doing. And then as that year progressed and the end of the year came and God completely came through so obviously supernaturally, the whole family, all four of us were able to see God speak, responding in faith, God being faithful to what he said. Our kid, so that's, it's one thing to teach your kids that, it's another thing to walk a journey where they're seeing it in living color to where when they grow up, this becomes normative to what it is to follow Jesus here on this earth. That he speaks today, that it requires faith, but we trust him because he loves us and he's good and he's faithful, and then actually seeing miraculously this thing happen. That testimony then became a reference point when God began to call us uh, to Detroit, right? When God called us to Detroit. <laughs> That's my, he doesn't even know. That's my 10-year-old son, by the way. So when God called us to Detroit, and there are a whole other levels of, again, of leaping faith and all of that. 
Minda and I could t- talk to our boys. You remember how God was faithful in that year and you know, they would remember so we can expect and their faith level and that next leap of faith that we took was on a whole other level so that they're growing up in a story of divine inheritance that they know God is with us. He's sending us. They understand something of the purpose. It's more than just their life. It's something that they're walking in. And so it's important for us to pass on the story, but also the ways of God. And so, um, and can I just say this before we go on? With regards to passing on the story to our kids, that kids cannot direct the family, which is a huge thing in our society today. You look at most kids, maybe perhaps in the suburbs, the whole family revolves around soccer, or maybe it's, you know, whatever, baseball, or, and, and what's that? Or, or football, yeah, it can be football. I'm not downing any of those things. I'm not even saying that they can't have a place. What I'm saying is, let's take a eternal perspective and look at how we're investing ourselves as a family. If our child likely has a future in football, well, let's invest in that. Let's get behind that. Let's invest as a family. But if it's just like the thing that all the rest of the families are doing, so I guess that's the thing we got to do. It's just... Let's just all give 16 hours a week to supporting our kids' football team. Well, let's consider the ramifications of that and, and ask ourselves the question, what is leading our family? It can't just be the kids and their schedules. God's word leads our family. That sets the context. As parents hearing the voice of God, hearing what God, God's leading us, and then it's not that God leads you, and so kids, when you grow up, you can, you can follow God, but right now we're going to do it, and you just need to submit to us. It's actually bringing kids along in the journey. Whatever you hear as a parent is spoken not only to you, but that which you have responsibility for. Bringing kids in the journey, sharing it with them, letting them comment, not just unilaterally forcing it down their throat, but allowing them to process it and leading with that and allowing the kids to be on mission with you. Is that good? If you just by default follow the way the rest of society is going, you won't walk in the mission. And we have to guard the mission because it's precious. The call that God has not only on my life, but on my family's life. And so let's talk also about teaching and the ways of God. So if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So in other words, we pass down the story, but we also pass down the ways of God. And, And what basically that is to say is we're passing on whatever that we've learned in our relationship with, with God, the things that he teaches us as we follow him, we pass that on to our kids. Critical, critical of importance. So Deuteronomy chapter six, verse six says this, and these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall carefully teach them to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. If you'll turn with me to the five chapters over, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. It says, and you shall teach them to your sons, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
And so can you see that, that, pat, that, that emphasis that God gives as the, the children of Israel were about to move into their promised land and settle in Israel, that it was important instruction to, to them to know that they need to pass down the revelation of what God has spoken to them, pass it on to the next generation. So in other words, everything that Craig has learned, I'm going to point to you, I'm going to point out a whole bunch of people, I guess, pick on you. Everything Craig has learned that he's received out of his rich relationship with God is important not only to bless Craig, but for him to use it as an opportunity as Eli is growing up, that Eli becomes exposed to that so that when Eli becomes an adult, he's able to stand on the shoulders of Craig and go further and not have to learn everything Craig received anew. That's the idea. We want to go further. So Matthew chapter 28, a lot of passages of scripture I'm referring to, I know. It's about to get intensely practical, by the way. This is, this is high and theological. We're about to start talking about doing yoga and exercise. I'm, I'm kidding you not. It's about to get very earthy. But Matthew chapter 28, I just want to read this scripture again over us just to see this pattern that is throughout the scripture. Jesus came to them and spoke to them saying, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and teach or make disciples of all people, all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? Everything I have commanded you. So what those words framed Jesus handing the baton that he started over to those that were following him. And his commission was everything that you have learned from me, teach that to others, give it away. Everything that we receive in our personal relationship with God is actually meant to bless us and be a blessing through us. And in a family context, that happens first with our own children. And to be honest with you, if Peter in his relationship with God learns something, or John David, they have every ability and it's not too infrequent that they actually do this, share something that encourages my faith out of their own relationship with God. So that's the cool thing about this thing of the family of God in the church is that it's without age. We, anyone who's following Jesus can hear his voice, can learn and can give it away. And if, if it's the voice of my king, I want to hear it through Eli as much as I want to hear it through Mickey. So here, let's, get, let's get practical. My friends, four areas that we're to grow in and that we're to help our kids grow in. Wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. We're talking about wisdom and stature. Big part of wisdom is the area of education. So just a couple very practical points that I want to say. Number one is... Let's not be, let's not allow school to become surrogate parents to our children. I used to teach in a school years ago, straight out of college, and I could see straight off the bat, that's the default mentality that you so easily get into. We hand our kids off at the school, and you guys kind of do that stuff, and you guys make sure they're taken care of, and then, and when actually, here's how it works. School at best, or children's ministry in a church context, at best, comes alongside the, the responsibility that parents have, and they complement what parents are doing. Parents own the responsibility of developing our children. So while school can take a lot of that load off 
and we pay them perhaps tax dollars or tuition to do it, and that's good. Don't take the approach of it's a surrogate parent thing. You stay involved. So I just want to encourage all the parents, make sure that you're regularly finding out what our kids are learning and being a part of that conversation with them. Doesn't need to be a long thing. Every day I'm asking the kids what they learned. They may only tell me one thing that they learned that day, but at least I'm a part of that conversation. I'm finding out. I want to say this as well. Moms and dads, be a part of the conversation or the meetings with the parents, I mean the teachers. So don't send mom, or maybe that's less common these days, I don't know. Back in the day, moms went to go to the parent-teacher conference. And I'm, I'm just saying, dads, you're the leader of the household. And you can't lead something that you're not aware of. Be a part of that journey. Be a part of that conversation and uh, take responsibility for it. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I also want to say this. Let's not do this thing that's happening in our culture now of helicopter parenting. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like kids can't do anything without parents like having to be on top of this thing and it stunts development beyond a certain age if you have to see everything that's happening. And so that's a big trend in our um, society today. And I actually read a, uh, an article last night just as I was opening my phone as I was drifting off to sleep and it was talking about in today's age, I don't know what generation is like the late teens, generation Y, X, Z, I don't even know, Z, is it generation Z? That may, Jesus must be returning soon then, that was, yeah. By the way, we're still here. I did, he was supposed to come back yesterday. Anyways, anyways, sorry. So, and I read an article about, about how the, uh, psychologically, kids who are 18 today on average have the kind of, are, are operating socially and, and psychologically and, and exper experientially at the level that 15-year-olds did two or three decades ago. And, um, and the whole effect of helicopter parenting. So let's, let's, kids have to be released to mess up and to make decisions on their own as a fundamental way of growing up. And we have to provide an environment where they can do that. My experience as a teacher was this, that oftentimes kids had obvious um, issues that were of a concern and when you would speak to parents, they would not be able to recognize uh, the issue. I mean, like denial, my kid, I don't know what that was. You know, if it's like somehow if, if uh, acknowledging it makes you feel like you're not effective as a, as a, as a uh, parent or what the case is, but here's the deal. I saw so in, in several cases a parent unwilling to actually acknowledge the need for help with, with uh, a child was actually stunting that child's growth, and, and it was sad. I'm sure uh, Debs could testify to that. Um, and so here's the deal. We all have blinders with our own kids. We all do. We all do. And, um, and to recognize that, t that tendency and be willing to, to actually see maybe our kid needs help in, in, in some area. So just, just an encouragement from my experience as a teacher, I, I made a decision when I was, a, before Peter was even born, while I was still a teacher, I never want to do that. I never want to be unobjective and not be able to see issues with my kids. 
and hear it from their teachers or, or what have you. So I just want to encourage you, in terms of your education, in terms of growing in wisdom, everybody in this room, lean in to learn from people who have things that you and I don't. So a lot of you would know that um, I'm, I, I'm also involved in another um, kind of essentially bivocational, I'm involved in another type of work, um, helping to subsidize the ministry that we do here. And um, I have in the area of real estate. So I've got a broker and I've got associate brokers working in my office. Regularly, if I don't understand something, I'm going to those people and asking them questions. And those who don't take the time to do that are, who just have to learn it on, them, on their own, are worse off for it. I can't tell you how much I glean from that. And that has nothing to do with like God and learning about Ephesians chapter six, talking about where's the best place to get a lockbox. And do um, you know what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is in anything in life, let's all have a lean in, humble ourselves and receive from people who know more than we do. Even with College of Creative Studies, leaning into mentorship and people who have already done that to, to glean as much as we can. And even after our college career, continuing to be ever learning and receiving. But then when it comes to spiritual stuff, when it comes to family stuff, when it comes to our spiritual development, when it comes to the stuff of the heart and, and critical issues of life, maybe we shouldn't ask our broker at the job where we work for advice there because if they're coming from a different place of convic convictions, we can end up getting influenced by something that's not supposed to influence in that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in, within the church context, there's usually supply that we can lean in on for our spiritual development or for um, you know, other serious life issues, serious decisions that we're making. Um, and the, the point is, Jesus told us to teach all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you to do. If that's our mandate to teach other people, doesn't that some way apply to us to be taught by other people as well? Or do, is it just that we teach others? So the whole thing is that all of us need to be being taught and teaching, giving and receiving, and that's the way we get built. So I just want to encourage us to lean in, to receive in anywhere where we have need. It is not weakness to receive help. It is strength. And when we're weak in one area, it is wisdom to receive strength that somebody else has, whether it's where do I get a lockbox or help me with my marriage or anything in between. So that's wisdom. We, for example, would do that with uh, the NCMI team, the New Covenant Ministries International team upon which we serve. There are also other people who help strengthen churches and church leaders regularly receiving wisdom and input from them on major decisions as we go through the course of this plant. And when we're 50 years down the road and this church is unable to fill this building or whatever the case is, we'll still be doing that, getting wisdom from people who have certain things that we don't because we need it. We all do. Stature. And this is the last part. Stature. Can I say as well, with all due respect, that American culture does not necessarily develop us in stature in a healthy way. And during the eight years that I lived in South Africa, every time we came back to visit America, I would come back feeling unfit. Sorry? 
while we were living in South Africa, every time I would visit America, we would go back to South Africa and I would feel unfit. And I'll tell you one huge part of that is this thing called sugar. I'm telling you, if you have not lived in another country, Americans eat sugar. It's all over the place. Up and down, right and left. And so, uh, so here's the thing. No matter what, it is amazing. No matter what physical thing that you're, any uh, cardiologist, a whatever physician you're talking to, whatever ailment you're speaking about, the bottom line, once you start talking preventative, any medical doctor will basically get back to diet and exercise. It's like not complicated. And so that's what I just want to encourage us around today. Again, I'm not asking, have you read the blog? I'm not asking, did you read the book and go to the conference and to hear this? I'm saying, are we implementing this stuff now, looking after diet and exercise? Why? Because it's important for us to fulfill God's call for our lives that our bodies actually be a, a, um, a vessel, if you can say it that way, through which that can happen ably without being taken out or losing energy before the end of the race is over. And so, diet and exercise. When I was in college, um, I had the funny realization probably in about my third or fourth year, uh, which would have been 1999-ish, that um, I kept on having this recurring thought, I don't know a lot of the stuff that I put in my mouth, I don't even really know what it is and especially carbonated beverages. Now I know that this is like 18 years later, so this is old news, but I can re remember before anyone was talking about, you know, getting off of soda or pop, I should say, I'm in Michigan, pop. Before anyone was even talking about that, I remember having this vivid sense of when God created all this stuff and it was, some of it was to supply nutrients to our body, is this what he had in mind as I put like a better made chip in my mouth and like what? I know that's a potato somehow, but like, you know, what? How? This is not, this is a far cry from, and then looking at white bread and like how, you know, so far removed from, uh, from the original idea of wheat and et cetera. And, um, you know, I, I want to ask us that question consider what we put in our mouth and is it doing what the idea of food is supposed to do for us, which is supplying nutrients to our body, nutrition, fuel, and uh, secondarily, the idea that our body is actually made of what we eat, that you are, as the saying goes, you're, you are what you eat, and that literally is true, but can I also take that a, a step further and also point out that our brain matter is made up of what we eat. And so even for optimal mental performance and what we're doing, what we eat has a huge role. Now, I know that this is not like a normal thing that you hear in a church service, but this is important stuff of life. It is. Diet and exercise. What are we eating? And in fact, if you look at most of the Old Covenant law, a lot of it has to do with God's instructions for eating. I'm not saying that we need to go back to a rigid, you know, following of Old Covenant dietary regulations, but I am saying God cares about what we eat because he created the body and it works one way and it doesn't work another way. In the same way, if I put diesel fuel in my uh, gasoline, whatever, tank, I'm looking at Craig, maybe he knows something, I don't know. 
uh, it's not going to work and vice versa. So the way the, the manufacturer of this human body had designs and intentions. I believe that food is supposed to be enjoyable. Like I, I in my core, right, Mickey? We had dinner with that guy last night. I believe food is supposed to be enjoyable, but it's within the context of nutrition. And so a couple ideas real quick on nutrition. You ready? And this is, again, we've read this. I'm just saying, are we doing this? Number one, uh, let's eat organic. And in other words, let's avoid processed foods. So white breads, uh, but highly processed foods, especially stuff with... Um, uh, GMOs and, and, or yeah, that's been gem genetically modified. Uh, eat organic as much as is possible. I know that that oftentimes is more expensive, but let's avoid processed foods. Secondarily, um, I say eat fruits and vegetables. There's like a whole wave that happened about 10 years ago where we're supposed to like stop eating fruits because it has sugar. Um, but I would say in moderation, let's eat sh fruits, even if it has sugar, because again, we are designed to need it. We actually need vitamin C. We need various uh, things. So eat fruits and vegetables, avoid uh, sugar, like processed sugar. And then finally, avoid sodium as much as possible. For those of you who love salt, just want to encourage you with this, that if you reduce the salt intake, your body will adjust and you won't need it as much and most things, sugar, uh, saturated fats, most things, if you get through that 21-day hump of changing your diet, your body will begin to adjust where you don't feel the need for it anymore. And that's an encouraging thought if you need to make some adjustments. In anything, adjustments with parenting, adjustments with whatever, you eventually do adjust to it. So if you just keep, keep the track, you will adjust it and you won't need what you felt like you did. Let's talk exercise quickly and then we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll bring it to an end. Just a couple thoughts. One is we don't exercise the way society is sometimes teaches us to exercise, which is to say that uh, a woman has value in so much that her body is like the perfect female form or that a man is, is really a man if he's got, got brawny muscles. And so we work out in this rage to try to keep up with the image of that photoshopped thing, picture that we've seen on the front page of a magazine. Uh, that's a real, a real difficulty in a lot of, especially young women's lives. And so sometimes we can take the other end of the spectrum and say, you know what, I'm going to forget about that whole thing and I'm just not even going to exercise because I don't need to look perfect. And, and that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. What I'm saying is let's exercise at some level just to have a healthy body. Not because we have to keep up with, I don't even know the names of the models, but whoever that is, the photoshopped models, we don't need to keep up with them, but we do want to take care of our bodies. And so in terms of exercise, here's just a couple thoughts that I would have. Find something preferably that you would legitimately enjoy doing. So, uh, you know, for me, it may be working out in a weight room. I don't hate it, <laughs> you know, honestly. It's not like I'm like, yes, I'm going to go to the Y and we're going to do some bench presses, I can't wait. It's not like that. But, but I don't hate it. For Minda, it's more yoga. She doesn't hate yoga. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, idea, but at the same time, there is some kind of pleasure with it. But what I'm saying is if you hate it, it's not sustainable. 
Find something that you do and, uh, and pick that and do that. I would also suggest this. Just, these are just very practical tips to make this a realistic reality. Uh, I would suggest mixing up whatever it is that you do every two months because you, you tend to get bored with a workout routine. So if you mix it up, so even if I'm like lifting weights, I'll change my workout routine. Uh, instead of doing it one way, I'll, I'll do a slightly different, different variation of that movement or I'll, I don't want to get into the details, but I hope you understand what I mean. Every two months, try to mix it up. Generally speaking, some ideas could be yoga, could be sprints. By the way, sprints, if you're looking to burn calories, is more effective than long distance running. So just if you sprint for 10 minutes and like stop, like do 100, 100 meter sprints and stop, catch your breath, keep on doing those over and over for 10 minutes, that's gonna be more effective in burning calories than, than would uh, long, long distance running. Power walking, jogging, cross training, body weight exercises, I did that for about two years. Um, didn't have a gym membership, so I just did body weight exercises. Um, generally speaking, you wanna make sure that you're doing it for 20 minutes, and you wanna make sure that your heart rate is increasing. Some of you may be like, I know this, I know this, but not everybody knows it, so just endure. So you wanna do it for 20 minutes usually, and, and um, make sure your heart rate is increasing, but there are also seven minute workouts that you can find online if you feel like you don't have 20 minutes to get sweaty and then have to you know, shower and all that kind of stuff. Literally, they're like seven minute workouts and something is better than nothing. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is, as I'm looking at you, I'm thinking this is actually so strange because I haven't talked this practical in a long time. I feel like I'm in a non-church context, but nevertheless, these things are important. Benefits, just want to point out benefits of exercise. Again, I'm saying if we're not exercising, I'm asking everybody to, let's consider that. How are we taking care of our bodies and how are we making sure our kids are learning as a norm healthy patterns of living to make sure that our bodies are healthy as we grow up. So it's us and making sure our kids. We want to be healthy people. I think God wants his people to be healthy. Some of the benefits related to that are very simply when you work out, endorphins are released. And I know we know this, but uh, that's important. Endorphins are lovely. They make you feel better. You know, I, they make you a little bit more robust in your social engagements and, uh, and help your thinking to be sharper and quicker. Powerful, uh, powerful things. So endorphins are released, um, <clears throat> which gives you a sharper mind. It maximizes the quality and length of your life. How, exercise combats health conditions. How many people do we know dying or are sick from health conditions as they age in this society that doesn't need to be the norm. Normal, healthy rhythms of diet and exercise can prevent a lot of that. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, combat health conditions, increases energy, you have better sleep when you rec regularly exercise, and, uh, and the truth is you end up looking better. And if we're honest, as much as we love Jesus and don't care about the things of this earth, most of us prefer to look better than looking not better. <laughs> so for kids, 
uh, and with regards to our relationship with our kids, I would say this, in this day and age, limit screen time. There has to be a limit for the electronics that they're doing. We cannot just allow our kids to veg on a screen and somehow think they're going to be robust, mentally charged adults when they grow up. Uh, that's not an environment that's challenging the brain or challenging the body. So limit screen time. You determine as the parent what that limit needs to be. Um, I think ours is very generous with our kids. And even if your child is not, quote, sporty, the sporty type, our 10-year-old over there who's talking to Jonathan at the moment uh, is not particularly sporty. He's fast, but he's not sporty. So whereas Peter, I don't have to ask him. He goes outside, he's going to practice, he's going to kick the soccer ball, he's going to do stuff. John David, he wants to draw pictures of, of, of the tree outside and he wants to write a poem about it. Um, but, but John David also is all about sitting on that couch with a blanket and his stuffed animal and watching uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and uh, so just to make sure that though that's his personality, he still needs to get outside and ride his bike. He still needs to get out and do something physical and challenge him with that. And I used to have an awesome time, actually. You remember, John, uh, doing body weight exercises with these guys and, and having them do that. It was like a bonding moment. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time. 15 minutes, just a little thing that you can, as dads or moms, do with your kids. Um, and let me just uh, say this scripture at the end. 1 Timothy 4.8, just in case you're going to use this scripture against what I'm saying, let's delve into it right now. Paul says this, for physical training, or the King James says bodily exercise, is of some value. The King James Version says it uh, profits little. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so I've heard somebody say, well, Paul said, the Apostle Paul said that bodily exercise profits little, so I think it's like you shouldn't be working out. That's like a sin. You're just, it's vanity, you know, this thing that you're doing. No, that's not what Paul was saying. He was saying it doesn't profit us nearly as much as spiritual development does. That's the heart of who God is and what he's created it for. We're going to get into that next week. Spiritual development, which will probably be a little bit more exciting. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, but what Paul is saying is recognizing there is real value to bodily exercise. And that's in the scripture. So let's, uh, let's take that and say, yes, it's not going to, we're not going to take this body into heaven and it's not going to be an eternal value, but it does have eternal value in so much as the health of my physical body uh, does not detract from my ability to do what God has called me to do. And if we end up getting sick, we can't just blame the devil, and we certainly can't blame God. We have to look at, was my lifestyle leading me to the sickness? Let's take responsibility for that now. So, concluding, I'm just going to pray, but I just want to say this. Um, next week, yeah, we're going to look at spiritual development, growing in favor with God, both for as ourselves and for our kids, helping our kids to do that. And the week after that, we're going to get into social development, growing in favor with man, so important, as well as some issues regarding discipline and how to discipline in such a way that kids are um, matured and, and actually helped, not just, you know, put in their place. Um, and I would encourage you, because this is such a need for, 
for so many people who genuinely are interested and don't have a whole lot of input with regards to child rearing that you might want to consider are there people who especially don't go to church who could be interested in getting some input on uh, either of those things, growing in spiritually and as well as with kids. So some of you would know downtown, I mentioned this last week, downtown there is this statue, famed statue called the Spirit of Detroit. And um, I don't know if it's on that statue or if it's just the artist. I know the artist said this, but this is what the artist says was the concept of that statue, which is the spirit of Detroit speaking over the city every day of something of, of, of the identity of the city. And of course, it quotes 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, biblically. But he says, the artist expresses the concept that God through the spirit of man is manifested in family, the noblest human relationship. And if there's anything that's been broken through the years for the past five decades in this city, I think it's been a breakdown of the family unit. And if there's something on a earthy practical level that we want to do as a church, it is to help restore family in the city of Detroit. Family of the actual family unit, and family in the sense of the church being a family, not a meeting, and not just a church institution, a community, which, which made up of healthy, robust families with kids who are actually uh, uh, strong and robust. So I just want to say this for you parents, let's acknowledge right now, parenting is one of the most difficult things you will ever do. Everybody, including Mind and myself, can attest to this. Most, most difficult things, and oftentimes there's a sense of condemnation when we realize that there's, you know, we're not quite making it. We'll never feel like we're making it because we're always growing as parents. There is no condemnation uh, if we're not doing it because three months from now when we get this thing right, there'll be another thing we still need to get right. You understand what I'm saying? But let's receive truth from God and implement these things. So... Uh, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your grace enables us. And we thank you that you are the one who came up with the, the desire for children or came up with the, with the idea of, of family, the idea of children. You're the one who came up with those four categories of growth, of wisdom, stature, favor with you, and favor with man. And Lord, we're asking you that here in this church, here on this earth, that you would establish it as it is in your kingdom. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth, here in the families of this church. And Lord, we pray for families who aren't a part of this church, that we would be able to minister to and help. And uh, where fatherlessness has been the situation, where brokenness at a uh, marital level has been the situation, where brokenness with children has been the situation. Father, we want to pray your grace cover, your wisdom penetrate into those areas. Bring the restoration that you, only you can do. And Father, we pray that, the, that out of this place would be a beacon of light showing your goodness and your ways with, with regards to family. In Jesus' name, I pray for every family represented in this room. I pray for every single person represented in this room that they would find family in the church family and that every family in this room 
would be touched, would, be, would grow in the idea of what you want family to look like. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.